listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. your copy of God's Word, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be starting there in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. So you can go ahead and be finding that passage. I love Advent season. I love this time every single year. Uh, I love when we get to focus, uh, we look back at the, uh, the, the Old Testament saints and just their great anticipation for a Savior. Because I think so often it's really easy for us to kind of sentimentalize the coming of Christ. And if we we see the truth in the Old Testament, this isn't a sentimental thing. It was a very desperate longing for a real salvation. And hopefully we can see that for us, we're not sentimentalizing the the coming of Christ. We're not hoping in sort of of a sentimental kind of a thing, but it's a very real need for salvation, a very real need for a deliverer and a savior for us today as well. Uh, and so it's, it's a, a real hope. It's not just something we talk about um, around the, the, the table and we say, you know, we're thankful for these kind of, it's, it's hope for real everyday life. It's hope that we desperately need as believers and it's hope that people around us who are not believers desperately need as well. And so hopefully we can see that uh, today. As uh, this, this is uh, the, the first time I've preached since I, I came back from a little trip that I got to take, fortunate enough to take to, to Scotland. And my life group was joking with me the whole time they were there. And they're like, we're going to have a whole lot of sermon illustrations about Scotland whenever you come back from there. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, I'm not going not gonna to do that. But as I was thinking this week, I was like, no, no, that's a really good one. So I'm going to use that one. So, so I'm sorry. And especially for those of you who don't like history and those kinds of things. But we'll, we'll make it quick. Uh, so w- while we were there, while me and my brother were over there in Scotland a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the things that became really, really obvious uh, was that the entire country is still really shaped by this uh, loss of a national identity that came in the 1740s when they lost the Battle of Culloden. Uh, they lost this uh, battle to England. And England basically destroyed their entire culture, wiped out their language, the kilts and the pipes and all that kind of stuff. They banned it all. They sent all the Highlanders to America and to Australia and all over the place. And the reason that kind of sank home to us really, we were as as tourists, we're just kind of going to these different spots. And we were at the little battlefield and they have these little monuments set up there. And literally at like five different monuments, and this is like pre-American Revolution. This is a long time ago. But there are flowers all over the place that people are bringing. And we saw this one lady bringing one to this monument for her client, and she is sobbing, like just body shaking, sobbing um, about this, this battle that happened hundreds of years ago. And it's something that still really shapes their identity, this loss of their nation, this loss of their, their identity. And it goes back to just a, a guy who comes in that promises them they're going to win their independence. And if we just fight for this person and they put their hope in this person and their hope is dashed, their hope fails. It actually reminded me a lot of 
kind of like lost cause mythology in the American South. It's like one of the first times I saw something really similar to that. It's like we have these statues of, of these people who lost, and we, we kind of like value this idea. Oh, we put our hope in these people that they were going to do this thing for us, and they weren't able they weren't able to fulfill this promise, and yet we still kind of idealize this moment and this time in history and these people. And, and we have this tendency as human beings to put our hope and to put our trust in people. And we tend to build monuments for these people, and we tend to, to uh, uh, tell stories about them. And it becomes part of our, our identity to look back and to think about this and to have this great hope and that's really similar to the people of Thessalonica who Paul is speaking to in this passage. And so if we turn there, if you're hopefully in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look in verses 13 through 18. So Paul is speaking to them, and he says this. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So just a little background about this body of believers. So Paul's writing this message. This is a, ch a church that's established in this town in northern Greece. Uh, and so if you know anything about the Greeks, they're very proud of their heritage, very proud of their traditions. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of statues and monuments built to city heroes and national heroes in this town. Their myths uh, make up a huge part of their national identity. But like Scotland or like America, one of the things that they're going to end up finding is that when it comes down to who you're putting your hope in, these statues are not going to fulfill these hopes that these people have. And so what you find is there's a culture of fear around death in Thessalonica. There's a culture of fear around this. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a lack of hope for anything beyond the grave. It's a lack of hope for the afterlife. And so you have this kind of frantic fear that surrounds the funeral rites. You have this worried grieving that comes when, when loss is experienced. And so Paul is speaking back to this group of people about this exact idea, because what's happened, this is actually a pretty recent church that he's talking to. They've only maybe been believers for maybe a year. And so he's gone and, and, and gone on mission there and led a number of Greeks to faith in Christ. And unlike a lot of places where there's a large Jewish population that he's been able to minister to and kind of convert, and then through them, some Greeks have come to faith, this is mostly a Greek population. And so he's kind of going back and saying, hey, listen, we walked through the Old Testament scriptures we pointed you to Jesus through those. And now I'm going to remind you of the confidence and hope that those people had and that now you have in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And so this is the message of hope that he wants to bring to them. And one of the things that, if you go back to the beginning of the, the book, one of the things he's going to remind them of is a, a 
common theme that runs throughout many of his writings, and that is faith, hope, and love. There's themes that pop up again and again throughout Paul's writings, this this virtues of faith, hope, and love that are going to endure. And one of the most famous passages that those are written, the fullest treatment of those is in 1 Corinthians 13. And in verse 13, he says, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You might have, in your translation, seen it, that these three remain, these three abide. Uh, And so he's saying, in, in a real sense, these things are eternal. Faith, hope, and love are virtues that are going to last beyond this present world that we see today. These are things that are going to last beyond the return of Christ. And what we want to focus on a little bit today is this one, hope. Hope. And so as a definition, what I want you to keep in mind as we're going through this is that hope is the settled, unwavering confidence that God will not leave us or forsake us, but will always have more in store for us than we could ask or think. So hope is the settled, unwavering confidence that God will not leave us or forsake us, but will always have more in store for us than we could ever ask or think. And as we go through this, I want you to to be questioning in your own heart, what am I putting my hope in? What am I eagerly awaiting in my life? What am I longing to see come to fruition or to see fulfilled? You know, we see uh, people who have, we, we see people talk about waiting on sports teams to accomplish things all the time. We saw the Braves win their first World Series in, in years. Um, and, and people were, were celebrating this, this, this hope that they put in this team that has come to fruition. And that's an exciting thing. You see, a number of Georgia fans right now, they're like, oh, we're waiting with eager anticipation for this national championship that we're guaranteed to win this year, uh, as if it's going to for sure happen. And this is going to be the 40 years that we've been waiting for this thing to happen. And so we, we're eagerly awaiting and anticipating this. And it seems kind of silly to say, like, yeah, but that, that's a different thing. No, seriously, people are daily waking up, and their hope, they're, they're just like, man, my work is hard right now, my life is hard right now, but yeah. Saturday's coming, and I'm going to have a good day on Saturday. And look, I like a college football game as much as the next person, but if this is what we're putting our hope in, a couple days after it's over with, it's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you void. Or maybe it's not, a, maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a, a loved one. Man, when this relationship is reconciled, when this relationship is fixed, when it's this, this problem in my life is resolved, when those uh, Cyber Monday deals come up and I can finally get that thing that I've been wanting to get with eager anticipation, you know, I'll be feeling a lot better about myself. It'll be a lot better day on that day. Or I'll be able to get through this day because, because I can get to that. What is it in your life that you're eagerly awaiting, that you're looking and hoping for, that you think is going to settle and give you peace and joy in your life, keep that question in mind as we go through this. And, and the key for us today is that just as God did not abandon the Hebrew people uh, throughout the Old Testament scriptures we see, did not abandon them, but had much more in store than they could ever ask and ever imagine, he's also not abandoned us, but has more in store for us than we could ever ask or ever hope for or ever imagine. So, so he, has more in, he had more in store for those people than they could ever have possibly imagined or hoped for in the moment. And he has more in store for us than we could ever 
possibly hope for or imagine as well. And so let's, first of all, let's look back at uh, how God did not abandon the Hebrew people, but instead had more in store than they could have ever asked or ever have imagined. Let's, let's look back first at that. So in a passage like the one we read in, in Thessalonians, one of the things that we're going to see, see a lot of people want to get caught up in the weeds of the eschatology, of the, of the details of the end times. And they want to pull down the, you know, the flow charts and the flannel graphs, and they want to show people exactly, this is going to happen then, and this is going to happen here. And if this uh, world event lines up, this is not what we're trying to do with this passage. Okay, One of the things that I want to stress is that we have to be sure to take the Bible just as, it, just as literally as it was intended to be taken by the authors who wrote it. And so what we want to look at is we want to see what was the point that this author was trying to make in this passage. And we see very clearly by the bookends of verse 13 and verse 18 exactly what Paul was trying to accomplish with this passage. And first of all, it's that he was trying to give them hope. And finally, it's that he was trying to encourage them to encourage one another and to have this steadfast hope and confidence in the Lord. So these are people who are in very real times of uncertainty and difficulty. These are people who have, have heard the gospel, have come to the truth in Christ, and now they're like, yeah, but life is not easy. You know, I, I thought I was going to believe this and things were going to go well for me and, and my life was going to be easy. I don't know if you've ever encountered this before. I didn't grow up in a, in a prosperity gospel church where everything was health and wealth all the time, but I definitely took in some ideas that my life was going to be a little easier if I was a Christian. I don't know why I took that in. That was probably my own sinfulness, but then life comes along, and you go through difficulty, and you lose people that you love, and you sin and face the consequences of your sin in very real ways. And you face the consequences of what your choices do to people around you and what other people's choices do to you. And you're like, man, this isn't what I signed up for. Where is my hope in the midst of this? Where is my hope in the midst of this difficulty? And that's exactly where the Thessalonians find themselves. And so this language that he's using, this apocryphal language, is actually kind of pointing back to Daniel chapter 7 and, and, and the, the Son of Man appearing in the air and, and the Savior that's going to come. And if we know anything about Daniel, he's talking to a people in exile who very much like the Thessalonians are dealing with these questions. How, where is God in the midst of my suffering? Where is God in the midst of these difficulties that I'm going through in this exile from the, the, the physical place of Israel and the physical temple in the world? And we're, we're off in this other country. Where is God in the midst of all of this? And Daniel's saying, do not give up hope in the midst of this current persecution and suffering that you're going through, but know that God will never leave you or forsake you. He has a plan to deliver you. This is what that plan is going to kind of be like. And he uses this apocryphal language to kind of show them that he's going to come and deliver them and save them. So this is the exact same kind of message that Paul is trying to call back to and say, do not give up hope in the midst of this current persecution and suffering that you're going to. And all through the Old Testament scriptures, we see this again and again. When we consider the Hebrew people, they were a people who had to endure trials and hardships of many kinds with faith, hope, and love to, to mixed results, if we're honest. At times, they were able to maintain that faith. They were able to maintain that hope. At many times, they weren't. But you know what is amazing is that it didn't matter if they weren't. You know, one of the reasons I love um, 
Jeremiah so much is that Jeremiah could very easily be one of the most depressing books in the entire scriptures. Because again and again, you see stubborn people who do not listen to what Jeremiah has to say. And yet the message continues to be, there are times when God's even like, no, don't even tell them to pray. I'm so over and done with this sinful people. Don't even tell them to pray. And Jeremiah says to God, but God, you have promised that you will never forsake this people, that you will never give up on them. And God, because his character is true and is, he cannot break his promises, he continues to say, yes, I will save them. I will pave a way for them. So even when they're not able to have this kind of hope and trust and faith in him, because of who God is, because of who their Savior is, he's going to help them to persevere. He's going to, to redeem them and save them anyway. We see all the way back to, to the beginning, the message to Abraham is, I'm establishing you as a people. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand and the seashore, the stars and the sky. I'm going to bless you in more ways than you could possibly imagine. Passover and the, the slavery to, to Egypt starts to bring in this idea of the trials and the sufferings that people are going to have to endure and have to face. And it teaches the Hebrews to hope in spite of the circumstances that they find themselves in. So much so that we hear the message of Job loud and clear, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Daniel, in exile, like we've just call back to in this passage in Thessalonians, in persecution, when all seems lost, all seems forsaken, when you do not see how God can possibly bring something good out of the circumstances that you're in, we see that he's going to restore and bless them. And into this, Jesus is born. Into this, we hear this incredible, uh, we hear this incredible prophecy of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 that we read very recently, just a few weeks back. But we can see this hope breaking into this darkness where people are just not sure how God is going to be able to redeem things and make it right. And we see the, the birth of Jesus, this miraculous birth of Jesus, God, Emmanuel, come to the world as a hope in the darkness. And we see Zechariah say, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, a guide, to guide our feet in the way of peace. What an incredible word of hope to people who for several hundred years had started to forget that message of hope. And what a great reminder for us today that that is still a message of hope 
that he has for us. For so many of us, I feel like we think that hope sort of ends at salvation, but he has promised us hope in this life and the next. His kingdom has come and his kingdom will be fulfilled when he returns. And this is why this is such a message of good news to the Thessalonians, because he is coming back again. And they have hope beyond the grave. They have hope beyond this life. And that's going to bring us to the second thing I want us to see today, that God has not abandoned us, but has more in store for us than we could ever ask or think. We don't have to grieve like others do, but we have hope as well. It's pretty fitting that it was actually this week, uh, this past Sunday, my, my grandfather passed away. Just a, a couple days before, I'd already been working on this message of, of hope. And, and my grandfather passed away this past Sunday. Fortunately, I was able to, to meet and talk with him a little bit last Saturday. And we were asked, my brothers and I, to do his, his funeral, which was this past Friday. And so a lot of what I was planning for this passage, or for this message today, was able to just kind of tie in really well with, with this graveside service that, uh, that I was uh, asked to do and uh, with part of his funeral that we were asked to do. But as I was kind of reflecting on this, and as I saw my grandmother uh, close his casket, you know, for the last time, and, and then we, we go with him to the graveside and, and put him in the earth, um, I, I don't know how you do that if you're not a believer. I don't know how you, you put, uh, you just walk away and drive back home after you lose someone that you've loved and spent your life with. I don't know how you're able to sort of endure, but the message of hope beyond the grave for us as believers is that this is a, a momentary sleep. You know, this is, this is why, you know, we don't have to get, I'm not trying to, to say, oh, you should never, you know, um, you should never, um, cremate your loved ones. We're not trying to get into that whole topic. But the reason historically Christians have, have buried uh, their loved ones is because they have seen this as symbolic of the fact that our loved ones are asleep for a time, and they'll be raised to be with, with Christ forever. And, and so there's good news in this message of hope that there is life beyond the grave, that this is not the end. In verse 14, we see that through Jesus, God brings with him those who have fallen asleep. Faith, hope, and love abide, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now there was a, in the 1800s, uh, Bishop Christopher Wordsworth wrote a hymn that became really famous. It was based on 1 Corinthians 13, 13, but unfortunately it really gets the message exactly wrong. It's uh, very poetic, but it gets the message very wrong. He says, you probably heard it before, he says, faith will vanish into sight, Hope will be emptied in delight. Love will shine more bright. Therefore, give us love. So again, what he's saying in this passage is love is the one that's going to endure, but faith and hope will be gone. And if you think about it, why do we need faith and hope beyond the grave? Why do we need faith and hope after Christ has returned, after Christ has come back? Why does hope endure forever? Uh, won't we not have a need for hope anymore once we have seen Christ in this fulfillment. This hymn is a nice sentiment, but it's not true. And I think at the end of the day, our problem is that we have a very bland and boring image of what heaven and life eternal is going to be. We have uh, an idea that, frankly, if most of us were honest, we would say, 
I'm glad I'm not going to hell, but I'm not really that excited about heaven either. You know, I'm not really excited about spending eternity there. It sounds like a really boring worship service for all eternity. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Why do we need hope? A message that many of us need to hear today is that this hope is not just for now. It is for now. It's for you who are in grief. It's for you who are going through trials and, and, and tribulations in your life right now. But it's also hope beyond the grave as well. It's the, the reality that even when Christ returns and we're spending life eternally with him, he's going to continue to be generous and creative and to overflow in love, so much so that there will be no end to his new creation, to his continuous blessing, to his making all things new. There's going to be no end to the joy, to the meaningful work, to the, the learning and the celebration together that he's going to have in store for us beyond the grave. There is something really and truthfully to look forward to and to hope for. And the hope that we have now is a direct reflection and, and a shadow of the hope to come. So the hope that we have now is, is confidence in God, is confidence in his promises. We have hope that the love that we share, uh, the hope that the, the gospel we proclaim, the hope that the new lives that we live have meaning beyond the grave. And those things have hope because we are anchored in Jesus, who is the first fruits of the new creation. So learning to hope now means learning to hope for a better time than the one we find ourselves in. And, and, and striving to bring that kingdom into our life now and to live it out in our church now, and then also to long for and to hope for it in the future as well. True hope, this is the third thing that we're going to see, that true hope for the future changes us in the now. True and real hope for the future changes us in the now. You see, when we really understand what life eternal is going to be and long for that, then we can start to live out that kingdom life and hope now. I think a lot of the times where we find ourselves in, yeah, we're, we're happy to be a Christian, we're happy not to go to hell, but I'm kind of trying to get my fun out here uh, because I know it's going to be boring one day in heaven, or I'm trying to you know, play around with some things that I think might give me joy or blessing or happiness here because we don't really understand that the hope we have in heaven far exceeds anything we could ever long for and hope for here and now. The hope we have beyond the grave is far better than anything that we could ever find for ourselves now. The hope that we have in Jesus is much greater than anything we could ever want or anything we could ever seek here and now. And in our life, we're still going to find trials. We're still going to grieve. But our grief and our life through the, the midst of that should be different. And we see in, in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews is going to say, uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, 17 and 18, he's going to say, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with, it, with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie. He, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is said, set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we see that, that Christ is the first fruits of that new creation. And we see clearly in Scripture what he's become, 
this new life that he experiences, this resurrected life that he experiences. This is him bringing his kingdom into this world. And now as his body, we're called to be like him and called to start ushering in that new kingdom work that he has here and now. And so he is that anchor who's gone beyond the veil, who's seen what we cannot see, and anchored to him, we live in that hope today. Storms are coming, yes, but the hope we have in Jesus is an anchor for our soul. Remember his character, like he says in this passage, he cannot lie. He's made these unchangeable promises to us. Jesus is the key to our hope. He anchors us to God's kingdom in the storms of our life. Practically, hope is an enduring virtue that we're called to cultivate now. I think a lot of us just think that, you know, I, of course I hope in Christ. It's kind of like faith, you know. It's, no, we're called to trust that he has more in store for us in him than we could ever ask for ourselves, than we could ever expect to get for ourselves. The hope we have in him is far better than anything that we could ever want. And we have to cultivate that because by nature, in, in our sin, we think that we have to be the one who gives us our happiness and our hope and our joy in life. But our faith tells us that our hope ultimately is going to come from him. Romans 5, 1 through 5 if you want to look at that one, I'm not going to read the entire thing right now. But hope is going to show us that hope is the culmination of the gospel, of gospel-centered sanctification. So as we grow in our faith and as we grow in Christ, it culminates in hope. That's the culminating virtue of sanctification. So what that means is, is as we put to death sin, as we put to death pride, as we put off selfishness, and as God starts to, to build inside of us and our character starts to grow in Christ, what that's going to culminate in is hope, this enduring, patient trust that in spite of my circumstances right now, I know that my hope is in him and that all the joy and peace and, and, and goodness that I could ever even imagine is in him and not any of the other things in my life. That's the ultimate, where we end up in our sanctification in him. And again, in Romans 15, 4, we see that hope is given to us through the word of God. So as we grow in our faith, as we grow in God's word, he's going to build in us this hope that's going to be this unshakable hope. And what that's going to cause is the kingdom of God to become real in us, the character of Christ to become real in us, so that we live different in the here and now. So that instead of putting our hope in the things that the people around us put their hope in, we put our hope in him. So that instead of having to, to grieve in a, in a hopeless kind of a way like the Thessalonians were, we can grieve as Christians, mourning the loss of people we love, but with a steady confidence in the goodness of God, in the goodness of God beyond this world, and the goodness of God beyond the grave. And so I want to end today just with a few questions and challenges for us to, to reflect on. So first of all is, is how do we grieve? I want you to, to, to think about the loved ones that you've lost. And I, I know many of you have lost loved ones just within the past few months and just within the past few years. And in no way do we want to minimize and say, oh, as Christians, you're supposed to put a fake smile on your face and just be happy. No, grieve the loss of your loved ones. Grieve those lives, but grieve them as believers, as Christians. He transforms it to where our grieving has that lining of hope with it, where we know that this is not the end. And as we trust God, we know that he has so much more in store for our loved ones who've gone on and so much more for us beyond the grave. And it's not just an eternal 
you know, singing songs. It, it's, it's life, life more real and more abundant than you could ever imagine right now. A life that you don't have to, to dread or worry about. It's better than anything that you could ever hope for and ask for. And how do we know that? Because we hope in Jesus. And Jesus has revealed that to us clearly in his life that he lived. So we grieve differently than anyone else around us. And how do we anticipate this new life when Christ returns? Just as we look back in the Old Testament and we see for so many of them, they weren't able to truly find that faith and confidence and hope in God. And yet, in spite of that, his promises stood. But it, the difference is in the new covenant, we have the spirit of God. His spirit can dwell inside of us and we can grow in our faith. And that, that hope can be cultivated in us so that we don't have to look at the world in fear and fear death and fear those. But we can hope in God. So we anticipate the coming of Christ in this Advent season. We look back to when Christ came, but we also look forward with boldness and confidence and hopefulness to when Christ comes to set things right and make them how they're supposed to be all along. There's no fear for us as believers in that second coming of Christ, but a, a hopeful anticipation for when he returns. Understanding the kingdom and resurrection life of Jesus, it should shape our view of life now and in the age to come. So we live now uh, in, in line with, with who Jesus is and grow in our faith and grow in our love and grow in the hope that we have in him. It should change how we live every single day and change what we anticipate for the future. And hope is a, a virtue to be cultivated. And it's also, as we see at the very end of this passage in Thessalonians, something we're supposed to encourage in others as well with the words that we speak and say to each other. We're not isolated in this. When people are in grief, again, we're not telling people, hey, don't be sad. We're not telling people, hey, hey don't, don't. But we're telling people, that, reminding people that we have a hope in God that is beyond the grave and is far better than anything we could ever imagine. And so encourage each other in hope in Jesus. Hope in God revealed in Jesus and cling to him. He is the anchor for our soul. They were able to see this as we saw in this, prophes uh, this uh, Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah prophesying, look, this is the one we've been anticipating. This is the hope revealed to us. We can look back at that with confidence of this historical event and look forward with confidence in the coming Christ and hope in him now and hope in him beyond the grave as well. Mm -hmm.